Hi, this is Star Trek Day here on Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. We wrap things up as I have more conversations I've had throughout the years with the amazing people that make this incredible series and its many offshoots. I was at the roundtables for Star Trek First Contact in 1996, and in walked the bundle of energy and Alfre Woodard. I remember picking up the script, and, you know, like within those first three pages when that whole thing with his eye happened, and, and I mean, that, it was so well written that I got that, because I don't really get a lot. I have to read the script out loud sometimes, or I miss certain things uh, when I'm reading a script, but I got it, and I was like, ooh, shoot, ooh, you know, like that. But, and then, once I met Lily, and and Zach and I went, yeah, yeah, because they said, you know, read and pay attention to the role of Lily as you read. And I was like, okay, who's Lily? You know? And you're always thinking, oh, gosh, she's probably going to be like, you know, weeping or doing something. And it was like, she was so kick-ass. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And the fact that, you know, the great mind, the scientist was just a lush and a womanizer. And went, yeah, you know, and he loves rock music. You know what's so cool? I probably shouldn't tell you this, but at the end they wanted to, uh, they didn't want to pay the money for it, Frank. But the, when the when the Vulcans come, was the the thing that he starts to play is break on through to the other side. We fought so hard to get that song. But there is more Star Trek Day on Sci-Fi Talk, so stay tuned. Break on through. I think I would have liked that, but that's the thing when you negotiate for these songs. It's really weird. Star Trek had a very fertile period in many forms, including publishing. A lot of original novels were written. Greg Cox talked to me about writing about Khan Noonien Singh in books about the eugenics wars, which was never shown on the series. Well, as ever, this was an exercise in extrapolating off really minimal clues in Space Seed. I mean, Joachim is in Space Seed. He has about one line. He, he's the big, bruisey guy who slaps Euro around. But okay, that's it. I, I wrote him as this big, scary, hulking menacing bodyguard. And the rest of the characters is like, there's a whole bunch of characters, and we just hear their names. Ling! McPherson! So, okay, I gotta have a Ling, I gotta have a McPherson. So, fine, I made it up. It's Suzette Ling and Liam McPherson. You know, she's a botanist, she's a chemist. The only thing I had to remember near the end of the book was suddenly realizing that all the characters whose names I'd stolen from Space Seed had to live. I actually, at one point, realized, oh my god, I've got McPherson scheduled to die when something terrible happens. I mean, he can't die because he's in the Botany Bay! I actually had to go to the point of making sure that when one of Khan's evil headquarters is destroyed and many of his people are destroyed, that Suzette Ling and Liam McPherson actually were not among the casualties because we need to see them in space seed. And in theory, I will use these characters again in, there is going to be a third book now, which isn't really a eugenics board, but there's a third Khan book. We can discuss that at some point. But we're going to do a third book, which is basically the CD Alpha 5 years. Khan's years of exile in City Alpha 5. Khan and Marlon MacGyvers, and indeed some of the characters from Eugenics Wars 2, who, those who survived Eugenics Wars 2, will pop up in the third book. There were even crossovers that were done in the publishing area at Pocket Books. And former editor John Ordover told us about this one amazing feat. Editor John Ordover oversaw one of the most prolific times in Pocket Books Star Trek series. He told me once about one of the highlights, the successful Invasion series. 
basically I just wanted to do something that only the books could do and that would challenge myself and the authors. Um, this was the, basically the first idea I came up with. I sat down to think of what would be really fun to do and one thing that would be really fun would be to tie all the series together. And with Voyager in the Delta Quadrant you start thinking about space and time stretching things and Invasion grew out of that. I came up with the basic notion and I called Diane Carey and uh, asked her to flesh it out and she wrote seed outlines for the other three authors and they then wrote their own outlines based on that and it's turned into one of the most extraordinary Star Trek productions of any kind. On my live radio show, Judith and Garfield Reese Stevens told me about a trek that never happened, Star Trek Phase 2. So much of the next generation that was tried out in Phase 2, where under mm -hmm. the, it was going to be the second five-year mission of the Enterprise, right. and Kirk was going to be the experienced captain who would stay on the bridge because he'd be too valuable to send down to the planet. Like Picard. Yeah. And Will Decker was his number one officer, and he was the guy who was going to lead the away team. Hmm. And uh, Ilea, the Delton navigator we saw in the movie... Right. Was empathetic and was like Troy. Yeah, and, exactly. And she had had a, a passionate affair with Decker before she'd come aboard the Enterprise. Now, Leonard Nimoy was not going to be part of Phase right. 2, so they brought on um, a new Vulcan. Mm -hmm. Zahn. Zahn, yeah. and he was much like Data. He was not half-human, half-Vulcan-like Spock. He was fully uh, Vulcan, happy to be Vulcan, mm -hmm. but he wanted to try to understand what humans were all about. LeVar Burton gave us some interesting backstory on Geordi LaForge and Data that was never used. The audition scene uh, for the character of Geordi was a Geordi Data scene, and they actually had written something that we never really explored in the series, but I always thought was kind of cool, that Geordi and Data uh, became friends. They recognized immediately in each other that they both saw the world in the same way. Geordi through his prosthetic eyes and Data with his positronic brain, so they actually formed a team in that scene that Gene had written for the audition, and they called themselves the Perceivers because of their unique perception. Um, and we never used that in the series, but it, it certainly was the basis for the way they bonded. As life happens, I mean, when I got married four years ago, Brent was my best man. Star Trek has had many great guest stars, and here is Brad Dorff on his Star Trek Voyager role as Ensign Souter. Number one, I, I, for me, it was it was a challenge to do a kind of acting I don't get to do a lot, which I usually play very intense people, and there's a lot of emotion in it, and he didn't care at all. Either that or he was, you know, Spock, who doesn't have any feeling either. You know, so it was doing a performance without, you know, doing a lot of stuff that I normally do, so it was very different and, and very cool. I enjoyed that part of it a lot. Um, and it was fun talking like Spock. You know, and even though they, they kind of pu they pulled me away from it, but it was kicking and screaming, I'm telling you. You know, I really wanted to be, you know, to, to walk around and do Spock. Yeah, I, you know, Tim and I went diving and stuff. I mean, I, I really liked him. He's just a sweet guy and, and a lot of fun. Um, and I even got to work. I, I, I know Johnny, uh, Ethan, and I got to do a little, little, little thing with him. And uh, you know, when you get to act with your, with a, with a friend, then, then that's that's really a lot of fun. After the success of Star Wars, Paramount decided to make their own Star Trek movie, the motion picture. Writer Alan Dean Foster was hired to write a treatment for the film. 
And he talked about that experience. I also did seven Star Trek scripts for Talking Records. Oh, that's a company one. called Power Records that issued two Star Trek records. Uh, and there were three or four stories on each one of them. Original scripts with sound effects and, and real Star Trek. But no names were given. They didn't credit names for many years. I think I had one of those. Okay. And, is, and I, I'm very proud of those little scripts. They were written a long time ago, but they're Star Trek scripts. They may be only 15 minutes long a piece, but they are Star Trek nonetheless. The novelizations of the animated series came about because Ballantine Books bought the rights to do book versions of them. I had already done a couple of novels for them, a terrible film called Luana and a much better film called Dark Star. Mm -hmm. And the assignment was given to me. And the treatment for the Star Trek movie came about because Gene Roddenberry had seen the Star Trek logs. Oh, there you go. Interestingly enough, and liked them and was familiar, you know, figured that I knew the Star Trek universe and could work in it. And I was brought in along with a lot of other writers to submit ideas for a proposed revival of the TV series. And instead they decided to do a movie and my story was picked and that's how that came about. After, as many people have probably already read in numerous histories of Star Trek, after the project became a big budget film, I, having no pull whatsoever in Hollywood, became an instant non-person and it was a very unhappy experience for me. But the first five minutes of the movie is all mine and after that they changed everything around and I was not asked to contribute so I can take neither credit nor, uh, nor damnation for whatever follows after to the first five minutes. More Star Trek audio treats to come. Marina Sirtis talked about the end of filming of Star Trek Nemesis. Would it be the last for Star Trek? <laughs> no. It's awful. It's horrible. You know, Jonathan and I would be in Star Trek for the rest of our lives if they let us, you know. So, um, he, well, he used to say that, and of course now he's this big time movie director, and I'm sure he doesn't think that anymore. But, you know, when the show ended, we were devastated. So I have these like emotional crises every few years. That another one just happened with the end of this movie. You know, it's pathetic, actually. At the end of Gen Generations, I was walking around the sets crying. You know, just what? <laughs> never going to see Sick Bay again. I couldn't even go on the new shows. You know, like when I went over to Voyager, I hated that our bridge wasn't there. It's the same on Enterprise. You know, I hate that our bridge isn't there because they're on our stages. And it's like, get off our stages. I thought they should have just put yellow tape up and conserved them forever. As you know, this is where Next Generation was shot and have tours. Ben Robinson and Ian Spelling wrote an interesting book, Star Trek, A Celebration, commemorating one of the many anniversaries of this great series. Um, well, the, the gag for all the celebration books is they're set up the same way. So there are profiles of all the kind of major uh, cast members. And then there are uh, features on the work of each of the major departments or even some of the I don't know what makes you not a major department, all the departments. And then there are kind of little bits that we pulled out that we just thought were cool. So that's the bit that probably varies a little bit from, from book to book. There's stuff about like the creation of the Klingons or the Romulans or the Vulcans. Um, and in this case, because there's a wealth of stuff that Ian was able to track down, there's quite a lot on the guest stars. So, but that kind of covers it. 
Is there anything I've left out, Ian? What else did we do? I would go with the costumes. We ended up giving mm. the costumes a lot more space than we initially intended to, probably. Not because we found so many people to talk to, but because we found so many great photos and sketches. And one of the things I think Ben and I both geek out about in the book, I love the before and after shots. Here's a, a Bill Tice sketch. Here's the finished costume. Here's a Bill Tice sketch. Here's the finished costume. And it's beautifully laid out in the book. And so we devoted a lot of pages to it. Right, Ben? Yeah, and all and VFX as well. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's one. I mean, obviously, I, you know, I've done a lot of work on the, the modern series visual effects. And I, you know, Dan's a... Dan Curry is a, a, a good friend of mine. I spend a lot of time talking to Dan. But I've, I realized there's never actually been a book about the visual effects of the original series. You know, the, um, so actually kind of piecing everything together on that. And the same with the makeup. You know, Brad Look did um, Aliens and Artifacts a few years ago, and they did actually do quite a lot on the makeup, but he didn't pull all the kind of the, the sort of rare photography that went with it, which um, James Corley was able to provide us with. So, I, I, you know, there's... I mean, for me, I mean, I figure if Ian and I are like going, I hadn't seen this before, or I hadn't put this together before, you know, given how much we've done and how long we've been doing it, then there's bound to be stuff in there that other people haven't seen. Chip Carter had an interesting book, The Wisdom of Picard, that shows different sayings that the great captain says. I get the feeling you watched a lot of Star Trek. It was painful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I did. And uh, I, of course, I mean, what a great gig, right? To be yeah. able to uh, actually kind of pull all that stuff together and rewatch old episodes. It was a lot of fun. He does quote Shakespeare quite often on the series because, uh, and I think has to yeah. do with Patrick Stewart, who was with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Uh, is that included in the book? There are some, and I will tell you the, probably the most problematic one was from Menage Troy when uh, he kind of mishmashes a bunch of different Shakespeare and other uh, quotes together. So that was uh, punctuation wise and trying to just make sure I got everything as correct as possible. That was a little bit of a, a, a struggle on that one. I was very impressed by artwork of Kavita Maharaj. Maybe you've seen her at the recent creation convention as she draws these amazing likenesses of Star Trek characters. I have to say that I decided to draw the character. In fact, I should say I decided to do a painting of Mr. Spock five years ago. Mm. And so what happened was I, I came to a place where I thought I would like to do a painting of Mr. Spock. And the, the way or the best way to do something a lot is to love it and just do it because you love it. Um, I spent literally two years looking at photos of Leonard Nimoy as Spock. And I would, you know, put images aside when I'd find ones that really interested me. And what I, what I ended up with was two years worth of research material of images of him and still absolutely no closer to choosing an image. And I, and I mentioned this to my husband. He said, okay. So I spent two years looking at images and there's, so what do I want to do? Because in my mind, it was going to be a painting of Mr. Spock. And so I had to quote unquote get it right, which meant I had to choose the expression, the body language, the the image that I wanted to do because there was only going to be one. Mm. But the act of coming to this character over and over and over uh, became an act of studying myself, an act of studying character, an act of studying the art of painting. And uh, it's been great. I've really enjoyed doing it. 
finally, to close off my Star Trek Day, Game Rant has the best Starfleet ships of the 23rd century. Just a few, mind you. The rest of them are at Game Rant. Let's start with the USS Archer, appeared in the very first episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and its captain, Una Chin Riley, who eventually became number one on Enterprise. The USS Cabot appeared in the Trouble with Edward short trek, commanded by Captain Lucero. The USS Defiant, but this one from the Tholian web, not DS9. They slipped into an interphasic rift, but shows up later on Star Trek Enterprise's Mirror Universe 2 Parter. The USS Shinzu, from Discovery's pilot commanded by First Officer Michael Burnham and her captain, Georgia. More of this list at Game Ran. To listen to all these interviews and put these together, I don't remember the trouble it took to get some of them, but I do remember the joy I had in talking to some of these amazing people that probably make one of the most impactful series that has influenced me and so many other fans as well. I love Star Trek and always will. Happy birthday, old friend. This is Tony Talato.